Chapter Thirty Two of the Prairie by James Fenimore Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William Peck. And I beseech you, rest once the law to your authority. To do a great right, do a little wrong. Shakespeare. Ishmael awaited long and patiently for the motley train of Hard Heart to disappear. When his scout reported that the last straggler of the Indians, who had joined their chief so soon as he was at such a distance from the encampment as to excite no jealousy by their numbers, had gone behind the most distant swell of the prairie, he gave forth the order to strike his tents. The cattle were already in the gears, and the movables were soon transferred to their usual places in the different vehicles. When all these arrangements were completed, the little wagon, which had so long been the tenement of Inez, was drawn before the tent into which the insensible body of the kidnapper had been borne, and preparations were evidently made for the reception of another prisoner. Then it was, as Abram appeared, pale, terrified, and tottering beneath a load of detected guilt, that the younger members of the family were first apprised that he still belonged to the class of the living. A general and superstitious impression had spread among them, and his crime had been visited by a terrible retribution from heaven, and they now gazed at him as at a being who belonged rather to another world than as a mortal who, like themselves, had still to endure the last agony before the great link of human existence could be broken. The criminal himself appeared to be in a state in which the most sensitive and startling terror was singularly combined with total physical apathy. The truth was, that while his person had been numbed by the shock, his susceptibility to apprehension kept his agitated mind in unrelieved distress. When he found himself in the open air, he looked about him, in order to gather, if possible, some evidences of his future fate from the countenances of those gathered around. Seeing everywhere grave but composed features, and meeting in no eye any expression that threatened immediate violence, the miserable man began to revive and, by the time he was seated in the wagon, his artful faculties were beginning to plot the expedience of pairing the just resentment of his kinsmen, or, if those should fail him, the means of escaping from a punishment that his forebodings told him would be terrible. Throughout the whole of these preparations, Ishmael rarely spoke. A gesture, or a glance of the eye, served to indicate his pleasure to his sons, and with these simple methods of communication, all parties appeared content. When the signal was made to proceed, the squatter threw his rifle into the hollow of his arm, and his axe across his shoulder, taking the lead as usual. Esther buried herself in the wagon which contained her daughters. The young men took their customary places among the cattle, or nigh the teams, and the whole proceeded, at their ordinary dull but unremitted gait. For the first time in many a day, the squatter turned his back towards the setting sun. The route he held was in the direction of the settled country, and the manner in which he moved sufficed to tell his children, who had learned to read their father's determinations in his mien, that their journey on the prairie was shortly to have an end. Still, nothing else transpired for hours that might denote the existence of any sudden or violent revolution in the purposes or feelings of Ishmael. During all that time he marched alone, keeping a few hundred rods in front of his teams, seldom giving any sign of extraordinary excitement. Once or twice, indeed, his huge figure was seen standing on the summit of some distant swell, with the head bent towards the earth, as he leaned on his rifle, but then these moments of intense thought were rare, 
and of short continuance. The train had long thrown its shadows towards the east, before any material alteration was made in the disposition of their march. Watercourses were waded, plains were passed, and rolling ascents risen and descended, without producing the smallest change. Long practice in the difficulties of that peculiar species of travelling in which he was engaged, the squatter avoided the more impracticable obstacles of their route by a sort of instinct, invariably inclining to the right or left in season, as the formation of the land, the presence of trees, or the signs of rivers, forewarned him of the necessity of such movements. At length the hour arrived when charity to man and beast required a temporary suspension of labour. Ishmael's chose the required spot with his customary sagacity. The regular formation of the country, such as it had been described in the earlier pages of our book, had long been interrupted by a more unequal and broken surface. There were, it is true, in general, the same wide and empty wastes, the same rich and extensive bottoms, in that wild and singular combination of swelling fields and of nakedness, which gives that region the appearance of an ancient country, incomprehensibly stripped of its people and their dwellings. But these distinguishing features of the rolling prairies had long been interrupted by irregular hillocks, occasional masses of rock, and broad belts of forest. Ishmael chose a spring that broke out of the base of a rock some forty or fifty feet in elevation as a place well suited to the wants of his herds. The water moistened a small swale that lay beneath the spot, which yielded, in return for the fecund gift, a scanty growth of grass. A solitary willow had taken root in the alluvian, and profiting by its exclusive possession of the soil, the tree had sent up its stem far above the crest of the adjacent rock, whose peaked summit had once been shadowed by its branches. But its loveliness had gone with the mysterious principle of life. As if in mockery of the meagre show of verdure that the spot exhibited, it remained a noble and solemn monument of former fertility. The larger, ragged, and fantastic branches still obtruded themselves abroad, while the white and hoary trunk stood naked and tempest-riven. Not a leaf nor a sign of vegetation was to be seen about it, in all things it proclaimed the frailty of existence and the fulfilment of time. Here Ishmael, after making the customary signal for the train to approach, threw his vast frame upon the earth and seemed to muse on the deep responsibility of his present situation. His sons were not long in arriving, for the cattle no sooner scented the food and water than they quickened their pace, and then succeeded the usual bustle and avocations of a halt. The impression made by the scene of that morning was not so deep, or lasting, on the children of Ishmael and Esther, as to induce them to forget the wants of nature. But while the sons were searching among their stores, for something substantial to appease their hunger, and the younger fry were wrangling about their simple dishes, the parents of the unnurtured family were differently employed. When the squatter saw that all, even to the reviving Abram, were busy in administering to their appetites, he gave his downcast partner a glance of his eye, and withdrew towards a distant roll of the land, which bounded the view towards the east. The meeting of the pair in this naked spot was like an interview held above the grave of their murdered son. Ishmael signed to his wife to take a seat beside him on a fragment of rock, and then followed a space during which neither seemed disposed to speak. "'We have journeyed together long, through good and bad,' Ishmael at length commenced, much have we had to try us, and some bitter cups have we been made to swallow, my woman, but nothing like this has ever before lain in my path. 
"'It is a heavy crust for a poor, misguided, and sinful woman to bear,' returned Esther, bowing her head to her knees, and partly concealing her face in her dress. "'A heavy and burdensome weight is this to be laid upon the shoulders of a sister and a mother.' "'Aye, therein lies the hardship of the case. I had brought my mind to the punishment of that houseless trapper, with no great strivings, for the man had done me few favours, and God forgive me if I suspected him wrongfully of much evil. This is, however, bringing shame in at one door of my cabin, in order to drive it out at the other. But shall a son of mine be murdered, and he who did it go at large? The boy would never rest.' "'Oh, Ishmael, we pushed the matter far.' Had little been said, who would have been the wiser? Our consciences might then have been quiet. Esther, said the husband, turning on her a reproachful but still a dull regard, the hour has been, my woman, when you thought another hand had done this wickedness. I did, I did, the Lord gave me the feeling, as a punishment for my sins, but his mercy was not slow in lifting the veil. I looked into the book, Ishmael, and there I found the words of comfort. Have you that book at hand, woman? It may happen to advise in such a dreary business. Esther fumbled in her pocket, and was not long in producing the fragment of a Bible, which had been thumbed and smoke-dried till the print was nearly illegible. It was the only article in the nature of a book that was to be found among the chattels of the squatter, and it had been preserved by his wife as a melancholy relic of more prosperous and, possibly, of more innocent days. She had long been in the habit of resorting to it, under the pressure of such circumstances as were palpably beyond human redress, though her spirit and resolution rarely needed support under those that admitted of reparation through any of the ordinary means of reprisal. In this manner, Esther had made a sort of convenient ally of the word of God, rarely troubling it for counsel, however, except when her own incompetency to avert an evil was too apparent to be disputed. We shall leave causes to determine how far she resembled any other believers in this particular, and proceed directly with the matter before us. "'There are many awful passages in these pages, Ishmael,' she said, when the volume was open and the leaves were slowly turning under her finger, "'and some there are that teach the rules of punishment.' Her husband made a gesture for her to find one of those brief rules of conduct, which have been received among all Christian nations as the direct mandates of the Creator, and which have been found so just that even they, who deny their high authority, admit their wisdom. Ishmael listened with grave attention as his companion read all those verses, which her memory suggested, and which were thought applicable to the situation in which they found themselves. He made her show him the words, which he regarded with a sort of strange reverence. A resolution once taken was usually irrevocable in one who was moved with so much difficulty. He put his hand upon the book and closed the pages himself, as much as to apprise his wife that he was satisfied. Esther, who so well knew his character, trembled at the action, and casting a glance at his steady eye, she said, And yet, Ishmael, my blood and the blood of my children is in his veins. Cannot mercy be shown? Woman, he answered sternly, when we believed that miserable old trapper had done this deed, nothing was said of mercy. Esther made no reply, but folding her arms upon her breast, she sat silent and thoughtful for many minutes. Then she once more turned her anxious gaze upon the countenance of her husband, where she found all passion and care apparently buried in the coldest apathy. 
satisfied now that the fate of her brother was sealed, and possibly conscious how well he merited the punishment that was meditated, she no longer thought of mediation. No more words passed between them. Their eyes met for an instant, and then both arose and walked in profound silence towards the encampment. The squatter found his children expecting his return in the usual listless manner with which they awaited all coming events. The cattle were already herded, and the horses in their gears, in readiness to proceed, so soon as he should indicate that such was his pleasure. The children were already in their proper vehicle, and in short nothing delayed the departure but the absence of the parents of the wild brood. "'Abner!' said the father, with the deliberation with which all his proceedings were characterized. "'Take the brother of your mother from the wagon, and let him stand on the earth.' Abram issued from his place of concealment, trembling, it is true, but far from destitute of hopes, as to his final success in appeasing the just resentment of his kinsman. After throwing a glance around him, with the vain wish of finding a single countenance in which he might detect a solitary gleam of sympathy, he endeavoured to smother those apprehensions that were by this time reviving in their original violence, by forcing a sort of friendly communication between himself and the squatter. "'The beasts are getting jaded, brother,' he said, and as we have made so good a march already, is it not time to camp? To my eye you may go far, before a better place than this is found to pass the night in. "'Tis well you like it. Your tarry here are likely to be long. My sons, draw nigh and listen. Abram White,' he added, lifting his cap and speaking with a solemnity and steadiness that rendered even his dull mien imposing. "'You have slain my firstborn.' and according to the laws of God and man must you die. The kidnapper started at this terrible and sudden sentence, with the terror that one would exhibit who unexpectedly found himself in the grasp of a monster, from whose power there was no retreat. Although filled with the most serious forebodings of what might be his lot, his courage had not been equal to look his danger in the face, and with the deceitful consolation with which timid tempers are apt to conceal their desperate condition from themselves, he had rather courted a treacherous relief in his cunning than prepared himself for the worse. Die, he repeated, in a voice that scarcely issued from his chest. A man is surely safe among his kinsmen. So thought my boy, returned the squatter, motioning for the team that contained his wife and the girls to proceed as he very coolly examined the priming of his piece. By the rifle did you destroy my son. It is fit and just that you meet your end by the same weapon. Abram stared about him with a gaze that bespoke an unsettled reason. He even laughed, as if he would not only persuade himself but others that what he heard was some pleasantry intended to try his nerves. But nowhere did his frightful merriment meet with an answering echo. All around was solemn and still. The visages of his nephews were excited, but cold towards him, and that of his former confederate frightfully determined. This very steadiness of mien was a thousand times more alarming and hopeless than any violence could have proved. The latter might possibly have touched his spirit in awakened resistance, but the former threw him entirely on the feeble resources of himself. "'Brother,' he said in a hurried unnatural whisper, "'did I hear you?' "'My words are plain, Abram White. Thou hast done murder, and for the same must thou die.' "'Esther, sister, sister, will you leave me?' "'Oh, sister, do you hear my call?' "'I hear one speak from the grave,' returned the husky tones of Esther, as the wagon passed the spot where the criminal stood. "'It is the voice of my firstborn calling aloud for justice. 
God have mercy, God have mercy on your soul. The team slowly pursued its route, and the deserted Abram now found himself deprived of the smallest vestige of hope. Still, he could not summon fortitude to meet his death, and had not his limbs refused to aid him, he would yet have attempted to fly. Then, by a sudden revolution from hope to utter despair, he fell upon his knees, and commenced a prayer in which cries for mercy to God and to his kinsmen were wildly and blasphemously mingled. The sons of Ishmael turned away in horror at the disgusting spectacle, and even the stern nature of the squatter began to bend before so abject misery. "'May that which you ask of him be granted,' he said, "'but a father can never forget a murdered child.' He was answered by the most humble appeals for time. A week, a day, an hour were each implored, with an earnestness commiserate to the value they receive when a whole life is compressed into their short duration. The squatter was troubled, and at length he yielded in part to the petitions of the criminal. His final purpose was not altered, though he changed the means. "'Abner,' he said, "'mount the rock and look on every side, that we may be sure none are nigh.' While his nephew was obeying this order, gleams of reviving hope were seen shooting across the quivering features of the kidnapper. The report was favorable, nothing having life, the retiring teams accepted, was to be seen. A messenger was, however, coming from the latter, in great apparent haste. Ishmael awaited its arrival. He received from the hands of one of his wandering and frightened girls a fragment of that book which Esser had preserved with so much care. The squatter beckoned the child away, and placed the leaves in the hands of the criminal. "'Esther has sent you this,' he said, "'that in your last moments you may remember God.' "'Bless her, bless her! A good and kind sister has she been to me. But time must be given, that I may read time, my brother, time.' "'Time shall not be wanting. You shall be your own executioner, and this miserable office shall pass away from my hands.' Ishmael proceeded to put his new resolution in force. The immediate apprehensions of the kidnapper were quieted by an assurance that he might yet live for days, though his punishment was inevitable. A reprieve to one abject and wretched as Abram temporarily produced the same effects as a pardon. He was even foremost in assisting in the appalling arrangements, and of all the actors in that solemn tragedy his voice alone was facetious and jocular. A thin shelf of the rock projected beneath one of the ragged arms of the willow. It was many feet from the ground, and admirably adapted to the purpose which, in fact, its appearance had suggested. On this little platform the criminal was placed, his arms bound at the elbows behind his back, beyond the possibility of liberation, with a proper cord leading from his neck to the limb of the tree. The latter was so placed that when suspended the body could find no foothold. The fragment of the Bible was placed in his hands, and he was left to seek his consolation as he might from its pages. "'And now, Abram White,' said the squatter, when his sons had descended from completing this arrangement, "'I give you a last and solemn asking. Death is before you in two shapes. With this rifle can your misery be cut short, or, by that cord, sooner or later must you meet your end.' "'Let me yet live.' Oh, Ishmael, you know not how sweet life is when the last moment draws so nigh. "'Tis done,' said the squatter, motioning for his assistants to follow the herds and teams. "'And now, miserable man, that it may prove a consolation to your end, I forgive you my wrongs, and leave you to your God.' Ishmael turned and pursued his way across the plain, at his ordinary sluggish and ponderous gait. 
though his head was bent a little towards the earth, his inactive mind did not prompt him to cast a look behind. Once, indeed, he thought he heard his name called in tones that were a little smothered, but they failed to make him pause. At the spot where he and Esther had conferred, he reached the boundary of the visible horizon from the rock. Here he stopped and ventured a glance in the direction of the place he had just quitted. The sun was near dipping into the plains beyond, and its last rays lighted the naked branches of the willow. He saw the ragged outline of the hole drawn against the glowing heavens, and he even traced the still upright form of the being he had left to his misery. Turning the roll of the swell, he proceeded with the feelings of one who had been suddenly and violently separated from a recent confederate forever. Within a mile the squatter overtook his teams. His sons had found a place suited to the encampment for the night, and merely awaited his approach to confirm their choice. Few words were necessary to express his acquiescence, Everything passed in a silence more general and remarkable than ever. The chidings of Esther were not heard among her young, or if heard they were more in the tones of softened admonition than in her usual upbraiding key. No questions nor explanations passed between the husband and his wife. It was only as the latter was about to withdraw among her children for the night that the former saw her taking a furtive look at the pan of his rifle. Ishmael bade his son seek their rest, announcing his attention to look to the safety of the camp in person. When all was still, he walked out upon the prairie, with a sort of sensation that he found his breathing among the tents too straitened. The night was well adapted to heighten the feelings, which had been created by the events of the day. The wind had risen with the moon, and it was occasionally sweeping over the plain, in a manner that made it not difficult for the sentinel to imagine strange and unearthly sounds were mingling in the blast. Yielding to the extraordinary impulses of which he was the subject, he cast a glance around to see that all were slumbering in security, and then he strayed towards the swell of land already mentioned. Here the squatter found himself at a point that commanded a view to the east and to the west. Light, fleecy clouds were driving before the moon, which was cold and watery, though there were moments when its placid rays were shed from clear blue fields, seeming to soften objects to its own mild loveliness. For the first time in a life of so much wild adventure, Ishmael felt a keen sense of solitude. The naked prairies began to assume the forms of illimitable and dreary waste, and the rushing of the wind sounded like the whisperings of the dead. It was not long before he thought a shriek was borne past him on a blast. It did not sound like a call from earth, but it swept frightfully through the upper air mingled with the hoarse accompaniment of the wind. The teeth of the squatter were compressed, and his huge hand grasped the rifle, as if it would crush the metal. Then came a lull, a fresher blast, and a cry of horror that seemed to have been uttered at the very portals of his ears. A sort of echo burst involuntarily from his own lips, as men shout under unnatural excitement, and throwing his rifle across his shoulder, he proceeded towards the rock with the strides of a giant. It was not often that the blood of Ishmael moved at the rate with which the fluid circulates in the veins of ordinary men, but now he felt it ready to gush from every pore in his body. The animal was aroused in his most latent energies. Ever, as he advanced, he heard those shrieks, which sometimes seemed ringing among the clouds, and sometimes passed so nigh as to appear to brush the earth. At length there came a cry in which there could be no delusion, or to which the imagination could lend no horror. It appeared to fill each cranny of the air, as the visible horizon is often charged to fullness by one dazzling flash of the electric fluid. The name of God was distinctly audible, 
but it was awfully and blasphemously blended with sounds that may not be repeated. The squatter stopped, and for a moment he covered his ears with his hands. When he withdrew the ladder, a low and husky voice at his elbow asked in smothered tones, "'Ishmael, my man, heard ye nothing?' "'Ish!' returned the husband, laying a powerful arm on Esther, without manifesting the smallest surprise at the unlooked-for presence of his wife. "'Ish, woman! If you have the fear of heaven, be still!' A profound silence succeeded. Though the wind rose and fell as before, its rushing was no longer mingled with those fearful cries. The sounds were imposing and solemn, but it was the solemnity and majesty of nature. "'Let us go on,' said Esther. "'All is hushed.' "'Woman, what has brought you here?' demanded her husband, whose blood had returned to its former channels, and whose thoughts had already lost a portion of their excitement. "'Ishmael, he murdered our firstborn.' but it is not meet that the son of my mother should lie upon the ground like the carrion of a dog. Follow, returned the squatter, again grasping his rifle and striding towards the rock. The distance was still considerable, and their approach as they drew nigh the place of execution was moderated by all. Many minutes had passed before they reached the spot where they might distinguish the outlines of the dusky objects. Where have you put the body? whispered Esther. See, here are pick and spade, that a brother of mine may sleep in the bosom of the earth. The moon broke from behind a mass of clouds, and the eye of the woman was enabled to follow the finger of Ishmael. It pointed to a human form swinging in the wind, beneath the ragged and shining arm of the willow. Esther bent her head, and veiled her eyes from the sight. But Ishmael drew nigher, and long contemplated his work in awe, though not in compunction. The leaves of the sacred book were scattered on the ground, and even a fragment of the shelf had been displaced by the kidnapper in his agony. But all was now in the stillness of death. The grim and convulsed countenance of the victim was at times brought full into the light of the moon, and again as the wind lulled, the fatal rope drew a dark line across its bright disk. The squatter raised his rifle with extreme care, and fired. The cord was cut, and the body came lumbering to the earth, a heavy and insensible mass. Until now Esther had not moved nor spoken, but her hand was not slow to assist in the labor of the hour. The grave was soon dug. It was instantly made to receive its miserable tenant. As the lifeless form descended, Esther, who sustained the head, looked up into the face of her husband with an expression of anguish, and said, "'Ishmael, my man, it is very terrible.' I cannot kiss the corpse of my father's child. The squatter laid his broad hand on the bosom of the dead, and said, Abram White, we all have need of mercy, for my soul do I forgive you. May God in heaven have pity on your sins. The woman bowed her face, and imprinted her lips long and fervently on the pallid forehead of her brother. After this came the falling clods, and all the solemn sounds of filling a grave. Esther lingered on her knees, and Ishmael stood uncovered while the woman muttered a prayer. Awe was then finished. On the following morning, the teams and herds of the squatter were seen pursuing their course towards the settlements. As they approached the confines of society, the train was blended among a thousand others. Though some of the numerous descendants of this peculiar pair were reclaimed from their lawless and semi-barbarous lives, the principles of the family themselves were never heard of more. End of chapter 32